0: Good morning, everybody. We will be digging into Micah 6 here real quick. Uh, we talked last week about pursuing God's calling uh, in our lives, pursuing what God has for us uh, as an individual follower of Jesus and as a corporate body, as a church following Jesus to chase after and capture, to hunt down your God-given future, dioko to pursue. And we're continuing that idea of pursuing, that idea of dioko. Chasing down and capturing today, with pursuing God through His justice. So we're talking about pursuing justice today. Uh, what justice is simply the quality of being just or righteous or moral rightness. Okay, antonyms for justice would be like corruption, dishonesty, falsehood, partiality, unethical. So justice equals righteousness, and righteousness equals justice. Those two are inseparable. They go together. They always go together. You can't have one without the other. They are hand in hand. And uh, that's what we're going to be chasing after today, hopefully digging into and making very clear today as we get into Micah chapter 6. So Micah is kind of one of those, or can be one of those kind of forgotten books uh, in your Bible. It's at the end of section of the old testament so the old testament is broken down very clearly the first 17 books are the historical books they're telling a story the next five books are the poetical the wisdom books like psalms proverbs uh, those books right there in the middle and then your last 17 books of the old testament are the prophetical writings okay it tells some story but it's not telling a story it's like the sermons of the old testament is the way to look at it so those last 17 books have two distinctions The first five are the major prophets. Not major because they're more important, but major because their books are longer. They wrote more. And then the last 12 books of the Old Testament, the last 12 of that section of 17, is the minor prophets. And that's where you find Micah. He's right smack dab in the middle of the 12 minor prophets we're looking at today. So again, this is not telling a story, although it tells some story because you have to to get the point across in any situation. It's not a, a historical telling book. Quick caveat. The reason I... One reason that I tell you that is because if you just dive into the Old Testament, you can get lost real quick. Understand that the first 17 books of the Old Testament are telling the story, the history of the Jewish nation, the history of God revealing himself and ultimately promising a Messiah that would come. The books in the middle, the wisdom books, they're exactly for what they sound like. They're for knowing God. They're for knowing wisdom. They're for gaining wisdom. They're for all those types of things. But they're very poetical in the way that they're written. They're not necessarily part of the story of the Jewish people. And then again, you jump into those last 17 books, and it's talking prophecy, and it's talking a bunch of things, and you can get really lost. But when you can tie up what those prophecies are talking about to when they happened... In those first seventeen books, then it kind of clears up and makes a lot more sense. So, uh, Micah, excuse <clears throat> was from a town about twenty-five miles southwest of Jerusalem. This book, he wrote this book, the, and the happenings of this book. You're talking about 735 to about 70 uh, 700 BC. Excuse me. Uh, we know this because he mentions the kings for, that served uh, during his time of prophecy. Uh, at the beginning of his book, he mentions that he's a contemporary with, with Isaiah. Uh, so the book of Isaiah, the book of Micah, they're talking about the similar, similar happenings at the same time, similar times. Amos, uh, which was talking to the northern kingdom, uh, these two are both primarily talking to Judah, the southern half uh, of Israel, the southern part, not half of Israel. Uh, Amos is talking during the same time, but again, to the northern kingdom. So that they're all talking, those three books are very similar in what they're dealing with. Who they're talking to and why they're talking, uh, or why they're giving this message, this prophetical message from God to God's people. And he he has three main messages in this. It's kind of broken up. He talks about the coming judgment on Judah, <clears throat> just like is about to happen uh, to Israel, the northern kingdom. He talks about uh, the destruction of them that is coming, and then ultimately he talks about always with God, the restoration, that they will not be completely destroyed because God has chosen them, and in spite of their complete dereliction of duty, he's still going to find a way to save them and to continue to move uh, the the nation forward. Those three messages, if you want just a quick idea of where they are and how it breaks down, it's a warning message, okay, judgment is coming, and then it's a promise message, a deliverer is coming, that's where we get the, the verse many of you may Recall of where it talks about out of Bethlehem will come a ruler, uh, uh, a Messiah to save. Talking about Jesus uh, being born in Bethlehem, and then a challenge to trust in the Lord. Now, so that's kind of the the overview of of Micah. I just kind of wanted to hit that because I would venture to say you probably haven't spent much time there recently. Uh, it's not a place that if you're just going to open up and read, you're probably not going to choose Micah of all things. The question though is why? Why? Does Micah have a message? What is going on in Israel at this time? Why has God gotten so fed up with them that he is using numerous prophets to tell them that I'm fixing to bring major destruction on the nation of Israel? And the southern half of Israel, southern part of Israel, which is Judah, it's coming. Why? Why was all this coming? What had Israel done? What had Judah done to upset and to bring this judgment from God. To, the short and sweet version of it is, and we could spend a long time talking about Israel's transgressions and the things they had done just like you could yourself and I could myself and those types of things, but the, long and sh- the short and sweet of it at this point in time is the judges, the priests, the false prophets, the leaders of Israel had really just perverted justice. That's really the simplest way you can put it. They're they're majorly into idolatry. They've allowed the pagan nations around them to infiltrate them in their worship. But but as much as that, with that, and as much as that, it's it's the, the perversion of justice. The the praying on the poor, the praying on the oppressed, using God, using the temple, using his word to oppress people, to to hold them down, to completely and totally Take advantage of them, and doing it in the name of God. And God is getting very, very fed up with it. They're they, they're extorting property uh, from people, depriving the poor, extorting profits, uh, pro- property. it, that out. Extorting property from widows. These these books say, uh, extorting property from children, self-serving each other, doing what's best for them, using violence to get what they wanted if they couldn't get it through just coercion. They, they practiced the world's version of the golden rule. He who has the gold makes the rule. That's the, that's the, the world's version of the golden rule. We know that's not the actual the way it's supposed to be, but that's the way it was at this time. People that had the power, people that had the wealth, were using that power, were using that wealth to put extreme oppression on God's people and the people that couldn't really help themselves. So God was pretty, pretty fed up with this. And then on top of that, they put this fake piety on top of it, right? This fake religion. That, I mean, they're the, they're the first ones in the temple. They're the first ones to, to put, a, put an offering up there. They're the first ones to bring a ram. They're the first ones to look like they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. But it's just dead religious acts with no heart. And God is sick and tired of it at this point. He has waited And he has waited, and he has waited patiently. And now he says he's bringing judgment. People say, why doesn't God do something about the wrong in the world? He does. And guess what we do when he does? Most of the time we complain about the way in which he brings that judgment, just like they do. Same thing. But he does bring judgment. He is bringing it one more time, fully and full on and once and for all. But that kind of is the background leading up uh, to where we're, we're going with today. So God tells Micah, it's time to stand up and it's time to say something. I've got a word for you. So that's where we are as we get into these verses today. And think of these, six, these eight verses as kind of a courtroom setting. That's kind of the, the poetry of the moment. That he's, This is God as judge, Micah as, as the prosecuting attorney, and, and Judah as the, defen- as the defendant. They're the ones that they're, they're, God is bringing a case against the nation of Judah, the southern part of Israel. That's what we're reading here. So, we get into Micah, verse 1 of chapter 6. And he says, Listen to what the Lord says. Stand up, plead my case before the mountains. Let the hills hear what you have to say. Hear, you mountains, the Lord's accusation. Listen, you, ever, you everlasting foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a case against His people. He is lodging a charge Against Israel. So God tells Micah, Stand up and plead my case. That's what it says there at that first verse. Listen to what the Lord says. And what the Lord says is that little bit right there Stand up, Micah, and tell them, and use the mountains, the hills. It's poetic language to say, My creation from the everlasting, they're my witnesses. They're my testimony. They're the ones that will bear out who I am. And say it in front of them so that all of Israel knows who I am and what charges I'm bringing against my people. And Micah says, listen up, hear what God has to say. He's got a case to plead against you people and you need to listen. Micah's telling Israel, you've got to listen. You've got to listen. You're doing it wrong. You're not doing it the way God told us to do it. We were supposed to bring him glory and instead we are shaming his name and he is fixing the Let you know that. Or he's already been letting him know that, but now he's letting him know it again in this section. Verse 3. My people, what have I done to you? Micah speaking for God. My people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam. My people, my people, remember... What Balak, king of Moab, plotted, and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered, Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. God is pleading his case. He's saying, hey, what's the deal? Have I put too much on you? Have I asked too much out of you? Am I requiring too much of you? Were my gifts not enough? Was my grace not enough? I redeemed you from slavery? in Egypt, and brought you to this land? When, when He says there, when Balak when Balak wanted to curse you, I used the prophet Balaam and his talking donkey. <laughs> you ever read that? There's crazy stuff in, this, in, the, in God's Word. You ought, to, you ought to spend some time in there. It's pretty interesting. It's pretty fun. I, I mean, just go read it. It's in Numbers, that story about Balak and Balaam. Right? He uses this, this, this wicked king who thinks he's going to curse Israel. He says, and, and Balaam my talking, and his talking donkey, instead of cursing you, I blessed you. Oh, (laughs) He goes on there, he says, uh, remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal. That's reminding them of them crossing the Jordan River. He said, remember when I shut the Jordan River off and let the entire nation cross from Shittim to Gilgal? I gave you a victory at Jericho right outside of Gilgal is Jericho, and that's where they sent the spies to, and Rahab, and they figured out that they, and God gave them the word and march around Jericho, and you know, the walls came tumbling down and all that. There's a good song that goes with that. He did, I did all those things. I did all those things. Remember, he says, remember what I've done for you. Have I not done enough? And all I asked in, in, in return was that you treat each other well. <laughs> all I asked in return was that you, that you. For the first time in the history of mankind, show what my character is like by living out as a nation what my character is like, and my character is just. I want you, I wanted, and I still want you to seek justice, my justice, treat each other well, treat each other right. Has the, have these gifts of mine, have they not been enough? Have these gifts of mine that you did nothing to earn? Have they weighed you down? God is asking Israel through Micah. And then, of course, the people's response, verses 6 and 7. Now it's shifting. This is, this is Israel, metaphorically, figuratively, answering back to God as God speaks here. This is Israel talking back in verse 6. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings and calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with a thousand rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil, shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? This is the people's response. God says, here's all the things I've done for you, my gifts, and, you, and they weren't enough. You just, couldn't, you just couldn't even attempt to live up to the Mosaic Covenant, to be a nation that I called you to be. And the people say, well, what do they do? They say, all right, well, what's it going to take to buy you off, God? That's their response. We've been wicked. We've been awful. We're, we're oppressing those that have the least possible chance to defend themselves. And we're doing it in your name. <laughs> we're saying that it's coming from God, and we're getting rich off of it. And we're getting powerful off of it. Right? So what's it going to take, God, to buy you off and call, cool your jets so we can keep on going with what we're doing? That's what they say right here. What do you want, God? What's enough? You want some burnt offerings? You want a, you want a year-old calf? What do you want? You want a 1,000 rams? 10,000 rivers of olive oil? These are all expensive things. These are all things that they were supposed to be doing with the right heart in the first place. And then, if that wasn't blasphemous enough, then they, then they offer the ultimate sacrifice, right? What do you want, God? What's going to please you? How about we just lay down our kids on the altar? How about we sacrifice our kids like these pagan nations around us have done and are doing? Is that what you want, God? That's what, will that buy you off? Will that make you happy? Are we not good enough for you, God? Is that what you want? Think about that. Is that our response when God calls us to repentance? Where's our heart when God calls us to repentance? Do you not say, again, God? Again? You really want me to be nice to Him? You really want me to, you really want me to go apologize? Do you know how many times He should apologize to me? And I said one thing and you're, and, you're, and, you're, and you're pushing it on me to apologize to him? Come on. Again, I'd, I'd rather just give you some money. Here, let me throw some extra money in the offer plate and then I can feel better about it. How about just give me a bunch of prayers that I can say over and over and over. Will that be enough, God? That's what they're saying. Come on, God. Just leave us alone. God is exposing the heart of Israel in those verses. Moving forward. And then God says, Nope. Nope, that's not what I want. Verse 8. He has shown you, O mortal, or He has shown you mankind what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Micah responds to these accusations from Israel, these excuses from Judah. He says, nope, (laughs) I don't want any of that. I don't want your rams I don't want your olive oil. I certainly don't want your kids sacrificed to me. I just want you to treat each other well. That's all I'm asking. Treat each other well. Act justly. Love mercy. Walk humbly. That's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to say that you need me. I'm asking you to say that, that you're living for me. I'm asking for you to have the right heart. I'm asking for you to, to stop exploiting. I'm asking for you, rich guys, to stop buying up all the land. That was one of the things they were doing during this time. See, in, in, in God's plan this is what was so cool, right? First of all, you weren't supposed to buy up a whole bunch of land because God knew that would make you powerful and able to exploit people very easily. But even how that was going to, that was, knowing that was going to happen sometimes, then God put into the law the year of Jubilee. Some of you know about the year of Jubilee. Some of you may not. Simple, every seven Sabbaths, every seven years times seven, so once every 50 years, everything was supposed to get leveled. If you had bought land from this family, and you would bought land from that family, and you would become rich and powerful, and you would gained all this stuff, and then they had lost and lost and lost through this decision there and that decision there, life how life goes, how it can happen, how things can seem to work out for some and not for others. God said every 50 years, crumble it. All of it goes back to the original family owner every 50 years. God was very clear that he did not want his people to exploit each other. Period. He wanted justice. (laughs) He wanted things to be done right. See, God calls them to repentance and their response, and often I think our response is, God, I don't really want to repent I just want to do penance. I just want you to give me something I have to do to make it right. But I don't really want to change. I don't really want to turn away from the things that I enjoy. I don't really want to turn away from all these things that are so enjoyable in my life. See, doing penance, right? Some type of thing to make up for your lack of righteousness. Doing penance without repentance in the heart. Without turning to God, first, just multiplies your sins. That's all it does. Penance without repentance multiplies your sins and hardens your heart. You see, now remember, Isaiah and Micah were speaking about the same thing around the same time. Isaiah says it a little differently. He gets a little fired up at the beginning of Isaiah. Here's where where he goes with it. Hear the word of the Lord talking to Israel and calling them Sodom and Gomorrah. Whew. It doesn't get much worse. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instructions of our God, you people of Gomorrah. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me? Says the Lord. I have more than enough burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you? This trampling of my courts. They're bringing these unwanted Sacrifices into his temple, his courts. Stop bringing me meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moon, Sabbaths, and convocations. I cannot bear your worthless assemblies, the times of festivals. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of listening to you. I'm sick of you getting together and saying you're doing things in my name. I can't stand it any longer, God says. Verse 14, your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals, I hate with all my being. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them, God says. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Isaiah is letting them know that God is very upset. It goes on to say in verses 16 and verses 17, What do I want you to do? What is the right thing to do? What does it say? It says, Seek justice. Seek justice. Justice. Pursue justice. Amos chapter 5, contemporary of both of these guys. Seek good, not evil, that you may live. Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you, just as you say He is. Hate evil, love good, maintain justice in the courts. Perhaps the Lord God Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. God wants us to pursue justice, to pursue righteousness. They are the same thing. They are inextricably linked. You can't take them apart. Why does He want us to do that? For our benefit and for His glory. More important than our benefit for His glory. So, what really is God's justice? And how important is it? Obviously, it's important. We've looked at that really already. What is it? Let's let's dig down into it. Let's let Scripture... Answer our questions. It's really the only place we should be going to for answers. So we're going to run through several scriptures here that just talk about justice. what it is, God's heart behind it. Proverbs 21:15, "When justice is done it is a joy to the righteous, but terror to evildoers." Romans 12:19, "Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, "Vengeance is mine, I will repay," says the Lord." Isaiah 30, 18, Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore He exalts Himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for Him. Continuing. Skip the page. Sorry. Pages are sticking together. Stay with me. Don't let me lose you. Okay. Moving right along. Uh, Proverbs says to the wicked, You are in the right, will be cursed by my peoples, abhorred by nations, but those who rebuke the wicked will have delight, and a good blessing will come upon them. Proverbs twenty eight, five. Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand it completely. Leviticus nineteen fifteen. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. Moving on along, Zephaniah seven nine. Thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgments. Show kindness and mercy to one another. Psalm thirty three five. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. Proverbs twenty one three To do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Deuteronomy sixteen twenty Justice and only justice you shall follow, that you may live and inherit the land that the Lord, your God, is giving you. A couple more. Proverbs 31, 8 and 9. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. Jeremiah 22, 3. This is what the Lord says. Do what is just and right, justice and righteousness. Rescue from the hand of the oppressor, the one who has been robbed. Do no wrong or violence to the foreigner the fatherless, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place. Excuse me, in the last one, Psalm 82, 3, give justice to the weak and the fatherless, maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Deuteronomy ten eighteen: he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner or the foreigner, giving him food and clothing. Psalm 140, I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted and will execute justice for the needy. Deuteronomy 32, 4, last one. The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. God talks about justice a lot in his word. He talks about things being made right between us and him, and us and us, a lot in his word. And to sum up just those verses, and the other things in general, sum up God's justice. God is justice, and he loves justice. He desires it over outward acts of piety, outward acts of religious religiousness. Justice is not vengeance. It is not Vengeance, like we think of it often. Defend the defenseless. Speak for the voiceless. Protect and bless the widow and the orphan. Fight the oppression of the oppressed. Bring heaven to earth. God's justice does what is right, regardless of cost of resources or to reputation. That's God's justice. That's what God has called His people to. That's what He desires for us to pursue. Justice. True justice justice. Real justice. And in God's mind, that is taking care of those and helping those who cannot help themselves because of sin in the world, because things are the way they are, that His people should be doing everything they can to overturn the way the world is, should change the way the world is. So how about it? How about us, church? How about us, church? How about you, Christian? Is, is, is your heart tender for the widow? Is your, is your heart tender for the orphan? Is it, is it, is it something that, that that pricks the inside of you and makes you think, I should be doing something about this? Or have, you, have your outward acts of religiosity without repentance done nothing but turn your eye blind to what it is God's calling us to do? Hardened your heart? Made your conscience unaware of such things do do you do you do we as a church care about the plight of the poor because God's justice says that we should be doing that that if we are not doing that then we are not doing what he's called us to do how about the oppressed I know that's a loaded word nowadays I know that's a loaded word I don't really care to be perfectly honest God's word is loaded it is offensive to our sinful nature. So if it's, it's offensive to us, then great. That means we're speaking God's Word. How about the oppressed? Are we speaking up for those that can't? Are you, are you defending the defenseless in any shape, form, or fashion? Or, or are you, like those in Micah's day, only concerned with getting more? That's all they were concerned with. Getting more. More stuff more money, more power, more name recognition, more me, me, me. I love me some me, as T.O. used to say. I love me some me. That was their attitude. Is that becoming our attitude? Is that our nation's attitude? Is that our culture's attitude? Just just get, get, and get. It's all you can think about. It's all you're consumed with. Get more, 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 no matter what it costs, no matter who it hurts. You say, well, I'm not like that. Well, are you? But are you? Am I? I mean, you may not be blatantly like that. But are you? Am I? It's a question I've been struggling with this week. Like I said, you know, God put it into His law and made sure that at least once every 50 years, everything was leveled and brought back. The year of Jubilee. Where where are we? Where are we when it comes to these questions of justice? Here's a few ideas, of maybe where we could take this. Okay, students that are here today and or listening, how can you do any of these things? You can befriend that kid that doesn't have any friends. You can do that. You say, well, somebody's going to make fun of me. Well, big deal. Big deal. You can, you can speak up for that kid that gets made fun of. And you can darn sure be the kid that doesn't make fun of people. <laughs> That's oppressing the oppressed. You can speak up for that kid. I don't know how many times I've said this through the last few years to students. But if we really wanted to see a change in our school, and I think therefore our church and our community, if we could just start one place... That would be where I'd ask him to start. Just that one place. Don't be a kid that makes fun of other kids and be the person that stands up and says, that's not okay. That's not okay. Stop talking about him. Don't say that about her again. I don't want to hear it. If we could just start there as students in our schools, (laughs) what a world of difference it would make. Unfortunately, Too many times, we're the ones that are trying to get the laugh. We're the ones that are trying to make sure that our name's getting a little more popular. I don't know, how about a boss? Some of you are bosses. As a boss, you can receive a little bit less so that the people that work for you can receive a little bit more. sure you work hard. I get it. And you deserve a good living, and there's nothing wrong with it. But if you're getting a great living off of keeping others from even having a chance at a great living, then that's... God says, it, I can't bear it much longer. I can't bear it much longer. Church, we, we can't be like the patient that asked the doctor to Photoshop his x-ray. See that? There's the patient that's like, you see that on the x-ray right there? We gotta have surgery because of that. Well, doc, can you just take that x-ray and change the x-ray? That way I don't have to have surgery. That's kind of what we want to do with our religiosity sometimes, with our just, our just outward acts, right? You can, you can Photoshop the x-ray all you want. The tumor's still growing. The bone's still broken. The problem's still there, whatever it is. We can come here every Sunday, and we should come here every Sunday. I hate it when people act like coming to church is not a big deal. Coming to church is a big deal. But if you're only coming to church to put a religious covering over your unrepentant heart, then all it's doing is making your heart even harder. We can't say, you know, God, can you just change the x-ray? Don't, don't show us how wicked we are. Don't show us our ugly heart. Can you, can you just show us a prettier picture of us? We don't really want to change or do anything about it, but can you just make it look better, please, Lord? Can you just do that, please? It makes things worse. The tumor's growing. The bone's still broken. You can't move forward. We must get the heart to the heart of the issue we must get to the heart of the issue when God's calling us to do something it's the heart of the issue very simply put is like this and we'll finish up God's justice is truth and grace received and therefore truth and grace shared that's all it is truth and grace received and truth and grace shared in other words don't let something good happen to you only raise your standard of living let it raise your standard of giving as Dave Ramsey says every time something good happens in your life does it only affect you and your immediate little group or do you think wow how can I use this to help someone else that's what God is calling us to do help others especially those that can't speak for themselves can't defend themselves are oppressed by a system that holds them down they have no shot at moving up And what do we do? Stand back and say, "Well, you ought to make better decisions." Well, luckily, we didn't get caught in some of those bad decisions, or we'd be right in the same right in the same place. Everything we have is a gift. Everything we have is a gift. Everything we have is a gift. The grace of God, and we should be sharing everything we have as much and as often as we can to make a difference in this world for the name of God. Pursue justice. That's the challenge. Um, Thankfully, Scripture says over and over that Jesus, the Messiah, came ultimately to bring justice and peace. He's going to set everything right one day. We should be incrementally doing our part to make that happen until He comes. So, um, We'll finish up today. We'll finish up in song. We'll go on that song to sing. You can sing. You can pray. You can come down here. And say, hey, church, um, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, and I want to join this church. You can come down here and say, hey, what's this Jesus thing all about? I'm ready to do something about it. Um, We would be more than happy to talk to you about that. As a matter of fact, it would thrill us uh, if that were to happen. So whatever God leads you to do during this time, pray, sing, meditate on his word. Uh, Whatever it is he's asking you to do, just be obedient and do it. And we'll finish up uh, this service. With this song, Lord, we come to you today. We thank you that your word um, it makes a difference, God. We thank you that your word speaks to us. Sometimes your word hurts, God, and I pray that when it hurts, that we do not sit back and just say, "Ouch, that hurt," and we move on. I pray, Lord, that you would stir us up to to good works and to love, like your word tells us in Ephesians, God, that we would. Uh, desire the things of you, uh, and and forsake the things of this world. Lord, we pray that if there's anyone here today that does not uh, has never placed their faith, their trust in you as their Lord and Savior, God, that today would be that day that they would place their faith in you, God. We pray that for those that have professed faith in you, God, that you would um, that you would just so invigorate us and make us bold to do what it is that you're calling us to do, God. That we would seek and pursue, chase down and capture your justice to bring a little bit more heaven to earth until you come and bring it once and for all and for good, God. We pray that we would glorify your name with our lives and the way that we live for you, God. We pray that we would desire the things that you desire. We pray it all in Jesus' matchless and wonderful name. Amen.